creating a marketplace or creating a system to enable homeowners to access capital without borrowing, create a real estate asset by doing that, and then create a marketplace where people could buy and sell those assets. You're listening to The Life & Money Show, a podcast that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth for their families, and impacting the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey everyone, Annie Dickerson here. Julie is on the road, living it up, traveling with her family, living her life by design. Now she and I had a fantastic conversation with our guest today, Matthew Sullivan, but I'm here to pull out a few key points from that conversation and to really tee you up for the episode ahead. But first, let me fill you in on some things going on in my personal world. And a big part of that is, as some of you may know, we recently purchased a new home and moved into it. But we're also, we've still got our old house. So we're paying two mortgages. (laughs) And the reason being, we're prepping the old house for sale. It's a duplex that we converted into sort of a duplex plus an ADU. If you've heard in previous episodes where we converted the downstairs unit into a three-bed, one-bath, plus a little office studio with a kitchenette sort of a space. So it's a really cool space. But the only issue is we can't sell it yet because we've been waiting for, get this, eight months, over eight months to get a permit for the deck in the backyard. (laughs) And we were already in the middle of construction when we had bought this current house and decided to move into this house. And so we were sort of in limbo for a long time. And so we're making progress on it now. So it's moving in the right direction. But I tell you that story because it's loosely related to what we talk about on this episode with Matthew Sullivan. He is the CEO and founder of Quantum RE. And what I love about his story is that he was really creative when it came to real estate. He knew he wanted to get into real estate and tried the crowdfunding route, tried building a platform is really his zone of genius. And he went on that path, but then he realized, wait a second, there's a total other way to do this. And this is the strategy that he talks about in this conversation. And the financing tool he's going to talk about, it's not a HELOC, it's not a loan, it's not a reverse mortgage. And it really, what I love about it is it gives homeowners that flexibility to get cash from their equity with no interest and no monthly payments. Now, I've never tried this in full transparency. I've never tried this strategy, but it really gets you thinking, doesn't it, about all the different possibilities, right? I think most people buy a house and they figure, okay, well, guess my equity is locked up. I got to pay my mortgage for the next 30 years and that's it. But then they start to tinker with, oh, wait a second, I can refinance. Oh, I can get a home equity line of credit or a HELOC. And the more you sort of dig in, the more you start to see, wait a second, there's all these creative strategies to tap into that equity that you're building. And that's what I love about this conversation with Matthew and the strategy that he talks about. And so as far as our story and our deck 
really it comes down to just having options, having options and now having flexibility to not feel like you're stuck as we felt like we were stuck with this waiting for the permit, not able to sell, feeling in limbo. And that is just, that's the worst. And so whether or not this strategy works for you, I mean, it's, I think, more than thinking, okay, this is the strategy for me. It's more thinking about, oh, well, if you can do this, what else can you do, right? It's really opening your mind to the different possibilities. And so that's, I think that's the biggest part I got out of this conversation and hope that you take away something similar. And as for any of our listeners out there who may be new to the whole world of real estate, and in particular to what Julie and I specialize in at Good Egg Investments, which is helping people to invest passively in real estate syndications, a great place to start is to get a copy of our book. It's called Investing for Good, and we have a free hardcover copy for all of our listeners. Just go to goodegginvestments.com slash book. All right. Well, without further ado, let's jump into our conversation with Matthew Sullivan. Matthew, welcome to the show. How are you? Very well. Thank you for having me on. We're thrilled to have you here. Now, Matthew, you specialize in something that I think many of our listeners might be interested in, particularly in today's heated real estate market. In particular, you help homeowners access a portion of their home equity without taking on more debt, which is fascinating. Now, this financing tool that you focus on, I know, is not a HELOC, and it's not a loan, and it's not a reverse mortgage, which means the homeowners can get cash from their equity with no interest and no monthly payments. So I am super curious. I'm sure our listeners' ears are perking up as we speak. And I know you and your team have helped over 100 homeowners use their home equity to pay off credit card debt, to remodel their homes, pay college tuition and diversify into other investments, all without taking on extra debt. So Matthew, before we dive into the ins and outs of this strategy, let's keep our listeners on the edge of their seats just for a little (laughs) while longer. Start by telling us a little bit more about your story and how you got into this line of business and this strategy in the first place. Okay, thank you. Well, I'm originally from uh, England, as you can tell from my sort of deep southern accent. Um, and I moved <laughs> over here almost eight years ago and I landed in Southern California. And one of the first things that I did was something that I had promised myself that I would do for years, but never managed to do it in England. And that is to get deeply involved in real estate. So in England, I'd been involved in finance companies and telecoms and technology. I spent a number of years working with Richard Branson. And um, still look back on those times thinking, God, you know, wish I could go back and do that. That was great fun. But one of the things that I really wanted to do is get involved with with real estate. And the U.S. real estate market is absolutely fascinating. So when I came over here, I really immersed myself in all of these various meetup groups and real estate sort of conferences and just being absolutely obsessed, as I still am, with real estate. And I was trying to figure out how I could combine all of the things that I'd done with platforms and finance and technology. So the first company I set up, which is about seven years ago now, was a company called CrowdVenture, which was one of the first 
real estate crowdfunding companies. So when Jobs Act was fresh out of the gate, we set up CrowdVenture and uh, we sort of stumbled and fell and <laughs> hobbled along and we had some successes. But sort of one thing led to another. And I stumbled across this really interesting asset class about four or five years ago, which is this, what was then still pretty much in its infancy, was this ability to create a real estate asset by helping people unlock the equity in their homes. And I was thinking, having been a homeowner in, in the UK for a number of years and watched my equity grow and watched my bank balance diminish, and I was thinking, hang on a second, if there is a way of doing that without having to borrow more money. So I became really interested in that. And it was difficult to do something with it because not many people had heard of it and it had all sorts of it wasn't terribly attractive to investors because it didn't have cash flow but but about three and a half years ago we had this sort of light bulb moment where we thought well there's a way that we can solve all of the problems that are associated with this asset class and uh, we launched quantum re so i'm going to trade you now so i'm not going to tell you how we solve the problem until you tell the listeners how we <laughs> can get their capital without a loan because i'm sure that there's people sitting on the edge of their seat everywhere or they may have left normally they leave right <laughs> well before we dive in i'm curious so you mentioned when you moved from the UK to the US that you determined you really wanted to get into real estate investing. So had you done real estate investing in the UK? No, and if so, okay. Only really just very passively. So I owned a number of houses, but they were all my primary residence. But I was involved with on the sidelines with other companies that were active commercial real estate developers. And I always felt that I had a very much a hands-on approach. So, you know, uh, nothing really scared me in terms of the property. And I refurbished a few houses over the years. So, you know, the natural thing was to sort of think, well, how do I get involved in, you know, buying homes and refurbishing? But then I was thinking, well, no, I want to do this on a bigger scale. Because the thing that I love doing is building platforms. So the idea of being hands-on with properties, although it's great fun to do, it's not something that I really was terribly interested in because I couldn't see the scalability. Because having done it before, I know um, you get all sorts of problems and it's unless you're really well set up and really well experienced, you just end up making the same mistakes that pretty much everyone else does. So I wanted to approach it from a different angle which again was leveraging all of the things that I'd learned, you know, with the, my sort of finance and technology and platforms and internet background. Yeah. And so you mentioned the Jobs Act and you mentioned crowd venture. And so tell us a little bit more for our listeners who may not be familiar with real estate crowdfunding. What is that? And why was the Jobs Act so crucial to sort of launching that whole wave? In reverse order. <laughs> Jobs Act, I can't remember the year that it was signed in, but it was... I think it was 2012. Yeah. So I was going to say it's about nine years ago. So yeah. It was, mm -hmm. uh, Jobs Act stands for Jumpstart Our Business Startups Act. And it came in within like a number of waves. So there were title two, three, four. So it came in various different stages. But the first stage, which was the most important stage, was changing one of the exemptions that enabled people to publicly advertise real estate investments. 
before that change, you weren't allowed to advertise or to publicly solicit. You could only offer these types of private placements, which is effectively what they are, to people that with whom you had a previous relationship. And so really what this did was it allowed you for the first time ever, without having to have a public company, to be able to create a, a small offering, something that could just be for one property, but you were able to publicly solicit for funds. And there's obviously a few hoops you had to go through. And that um, public solicitation, you could only accept accredited investors. And that's still the case. And you had to make sure that the people that did invest with you really were accredited investors. So Previously, you could kind of take them at their word. But this time, if you did want to publicly offer your shares in your private placement, um, then you had to make absolutely sure that they really were accredited. So there's a bit more compliance involved. But that really gave birth to platforms that were able to post real estate deals that previously would only be available if you knew the right guy at the local country club or if you knew a guy at a real estate uh, sort of meeting. So these deals that were previously only available to those with deep pockets suddenly became available. And it gave birth to a number of real estate crowdfunding platforms. And a number of those have been hugely successful and have raised billions and billions of dollars over the last few years and have really opened up real estate investing for accredited and non-accredited investors because other parts of the Jobs Act allowed non-accredited investors to invest in these types of structures without having to be public companies. So what it did is it really opened the market up and you may have come across other crowdfunding platforms. So it's not just limited to real estate. So you can now go to um, companies and invest in companies. So you can potentially invest in the next Uber or the next eBay or the next Amazon at a startup level. And those that's all been made possible by the Jobs Act. No, isn't it such a game changer? I think for me at the time, I didn't know anything about this space. It was just a blip on my radar. Maybe I read a headline about it, but I had no idea the vast impact. And here we are almost 10 years later, and we our entire business would not exist without the Jobs Act and what it did for the whole face of the investing industry. And so for years I had, and same with Julie, we had invested in real estate personally and never knew anything about private placements, didn't know that they had existed, didn't go to the right country clubs, didn't golf with the right people and didn't stumble across these opportunities until years down the road, well after the Jobs Act had been passed, that these opportunities started to come along and become more available to the common person, the everyday, the mom, the nurse, the teacher, everybody now can at least learn that these opportunities are out there. And for many people, they now have access and can invest if it does make sense for them. And so you got involved, you built a platform there. And so tell us a little bit about that venture and then how that then played into what you're doing now through Quantum RE. Again, 
when you put these things in place, you s then obviously there's learning by doing a certain amount of planning that you can do. But really, my view was the only way that we can really see what the market response is going to be is to get it out there, just see generally what the response is. So the platform itself is pretty straightforward. The next question is, where are we going to get the deals from? So I can build the platform, I can create the regulatory environment that you know for these deals to exist. So I started looking for real estate partners so i met you know thankfully some great partners at a very very early stage because crowdfunding was one of those buzzwords that a number of people really wanted to get involved with but again didn't really know how so i had a little bit of intellectual dry powder as it were in other words something that i could trade because having built this platform i was just a little bit ahead in terms of my knowledge than they were so that's something that was valuable to them so we, we ended up working with partners that i still work with very closely every day today so those partners gave me access to a number of real estate deals so the, the next stage was that we were actually able to put deals up but the real challenge was even though we were evangelists and enthusiastic and passionate which is that horribly overused word about this new platform no one knew about it and no one had any idea what this meant and it was just another website so to be at the very beginning of that education curve was fascinating stuff but also it's quite challenging and a little bit frustrating because first of all you have to explain to someone what crowdfunding is then you have to explain how it works and before you can even talk about the benefits of the underlying investments that you're marketing you've got to go through this long sort of soliloquy about you know how you can now do this online by which time you completely lost their interest and they've popped back to the local country club <laughs> to do the deal in the way that they've done it all their lives so there is with any new technology the thing you forget is yeah you've got to get other people aren't quite as far up the curb as you are so you're going to have to wait a little bit it's amazing how quickly the investing public adopted these platforms and i think that's really down to the quality of the platforms that sprung up as i said most of them are still there today and they're, they're doing great business so but i think crowdventure i sort of scratched my head thinking i like it but there are problems and one of the biggest problems was deal flow and that's the thing that really came out at the very beginning trying to get the deals trying to get quality deals on the platform and then trying to scale it so i sort of went back and thought well i like this but i'm going to end up in a cul-de-sac pretty quickly and so went back to the drawing board and and that's really when i stumbled across this concept of unlocking home equity and creating an asset out of that because that's solved all of the scalability problems and it seems like the common thread between those two is you had a passion, for lack of a better word, for really helping people to learn about these strategies that many people may not know about and to leverage their equity and to build wealth in ways that maybe they hadn't thought of before. So then tell us, how did you stumble upon this and how, let our listeners in, how does this strategy work? Well, I think the main thing really is, I think what you're saying just then, thank you, it's very, very gracious of you, but it was very much a byproduct. So the thing that really excited me more than anything was building this platform. And then you create this natural enthusiasm if it's something that you really like doing and you naturally want to go and tell people. I think the byproduct of that is that they get access to things that they didn't have. So even though I would love to put my hand on my chest and say that my primary motivator is helping people, I love getting involved in things where 
you feel good that you're actually doing something that's not trivial but there is a blend so i think it's very much business first does it solve a- and what we were doing kind of solved a problem with crowd venture it was a nice to have but it wasn't a must have and i think really that was one of the reasons why we sort of shelved it in the early days because you know it just wasn't lighting everyone's fire it was like that's cool uh, what else you got you know, well no, this is it <laughs> so i was at a real estate conference a real estate conference and uh, one of the speakers was talking about this concept of unlocking home equity through a particular type of structure which meant the homeowner could receive a lump sum without having to go into debt so in a commercial real estate transaction you have all sorts of different layers of funding i mean you start off on the debt side you've got different flavors you have senior debt junior debt and then you've got mezzanine which is a bit of equity and a bit of debt and then you've got preferred equity and then all of those different ways of building your capital stack are used every day all sorts of variations of that in the commercial world in the residential world it's like well what have you got well we've got some debt yeah great well what else have you got more debt different types of debt <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah well, what about you know so none of these really cool flexible funding mechanisms that you have in the commercial world are available to homeowners it's like you know and then you look deep and you think that's actually quite a big market and there's 18 trillion dollars of equity in residences in the u.s so first of all you think well that's quite a big market you know it's not one of these little tiny markets it's quite a big market and when i looked at these things when i was doing the crowdfunding side you sort of through a process of osmosis you see these numbers and they don't really mean anything to you. what really struck me was it's a really the structure this guy was talking about was intellectually interesting so it was struck a nerve because i liked the simplicity of the result but i loved the complexity of what had to happen behind the scenes and that sort of excited me because I loved the idea of building sort of this sort of financial mechanism that allowed the end result, which is funding for homeowners. If you want me to pause, just raise your hand. I know I'm just sort of talking and talking. <laughs> yeah. Take it slow. If any of you want to take slow. a coffee or break or something. <laughs> um, again, you sort of park it in the back of your brain. Now, hang on. No one's going to invest in this because... If it's just equity, where's the cash flow? Everybody wants yield. And then you talk to a few buddies and they go, nah, where's the yield? Where's the cash pay? And you go, no, no, there's no cash pay, but it's a really, really good equity investment. And they say, great, where's the cash pay? And you go, no, 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 there is, you know, so you go around in circles. (laughs) But then I was part of a group that met every week in Los Angeles. It's called Metal. One of the members of metal and one of the speakers that would stand up fairly regularly was a guy called brock pierce now brock pierce at that point was the chairman of the bitcoin foundation and he would stand up this was years ago and he said look you guys have really got to understand and learn about cryptocurrencies bitcoin blockchain and i was going yeah what and so i remember looking up blockchain and it said a distributed ledger technology i thought i must be looking at the wrong blockchain i don't understand what this means again that just sort of passed me by as you can see there's a lot of things that passed me by in my life you know so i would have been the guy that turned down amazon or ebay but thankfully (laughs) you and me both i got my hooks into this one so i was just thinking i love the blockchain i loved it and we i learned more about it and began to realize sort of what it meant and so is there a way that we can somehow connect blockchain financing all these little moving parts with this real estate thing that is just digging away in the back of my mind saying for god's sake do something with this and again there was this there was a bit of a 
aha moment where you think, well, if there's a way that we can create a market to sell these home equity things, then the person that had bought it could make some profit, get their money back, and then go and do it again. And if we can use blockchain technologies to do that, that would be really cool because the whole thing about blockchain is it's decentralized. You don't have to go to one place to do all these deals. Theoretically, and this is where you start sort of doing your blue sky thinking, theoretically, the things that you create in the blockchain, they could fly around the world. There's no limit. So it was that thing that drove the original design, which hasn't changed, which is creating a marketplace or creating a system to enable homeowners to access capital without borrowing, create a real estate asset by doing that, and then create a marketplace where people could buy and sell those assets, but using blockchain, chop those assets up into tiny pieces. Because if people come along and they don't have deep pockets, or they have deep pockets but short arms, then they still <laughs> could manage to invest. And so it was really the combination of everything we'd learned from the crowdfunding side, from the finance side, from the demand side. So what we created is a product that actually has real demand because people need capital. It solves a real problem because people today need money more than ever before. But many of those people are in a worse financial position than they thought they would be. So they can't borrow the money. Yet, as you said at the beginning, at the same time, the value of their home is going up in an extraordinary fashion. So this, I'm sure we'll talk in a moment about how it works, but it's great because we solve a problem, yet at the same time, we create a marketplace for an entirely new real estate asset, which is the ability to buy and sell the equity in homes that are not for sale. We'll get back to our conversation with Matthew in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid, like we were, that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest. Mm -hmm. 
And now, back to our chat with Matthew Sullivan. So fascinating. So let's pretend for a moment that I have no idea what you just said. Just pretend. Okay. We're, just, we're, just pretend. Yeah. we're just just totally pretend. Like I don't yes. understand anything you just said. And can you explain, let's get into the how it works, just like you said. Let's talk about that. Explain it from a perspective of let's say I have a house and I've got a million dollars of equity in my home. I live in California. I live in the Bay Area. I bought my home five years ago and I have a million dollars in equity. How does this work? How do I go about tapping that equity? The first thing to really talk about is we are investors, not lenders. Okay. So a lender makes their money by charging you interest. And there's all sorts of different ways of doing that. You can have monthly interest. You can have a balloon payment, which is really what a reverse mortgage is. You can have a home equity line of credit where you pay interest on the amount that you borrow and then it resets and then you start paying the principal so those are all debt products and what we do is we invest in the possibility or correction the potential for your home to increase in value and as you said your property in the bay area has gone up significantly we want to be able to have a piece of that now the problem is you own your home you're not going to sell me some of your home but if i say to you um judy look how about we give you a cash lump sum today and then when you sell your home which might be in five years or ten years time give us back the money that we invested and we'll take a share of the amount that's gone up. So you don't have to pay us any interest, but when you do sell your home, we'll share as a partner in the amount that it's gone up, but we'll be a silent partner um, because we won't be an owner of your home. So we're not gonna go on title as an owner. We're not gonna come and camp out in your spare bedroom or tell you what colors to paint the living room. And um, we're gonna be there in the background. You're not gonna hear a peep from us for the duration of the contract which which can be up to 30 years but at the end of that agreement it's time to settle up and we'll have our investment back and if your house has gone up in value we'll take a share of that and that's how the programs work fascinating so interesting and so from an investor standpoint you give away your cash today for upside later on on the back end for a predetermined time frame it sounds like the agreements are all timed agreements so they're either 10-year agreements or there are other variations so in the same way that you have different flavors of debt you have different flavors of home equity agreements there's half a dozen of us in this space and about i mean i would estimate about a billion dollars will be invested in home equity agreements across all those companies this year hmm. Interesting. And then you said that when you sell, let's go back to my example. So when I sell, you would take a share of the equity. What does that typical share look like in percentage numbers? Or how well, do you I'll explain give, I'll that? I'll you a precise example of the agreements that we fund, which are 10-year agreements. Okay. So duration is 10 years. If you have, let's say for round numbers, you have a million-dollar home. Mm -hmm. And let's say that you want to unlock... 10% of the value of, of your home today. So we'll write you a check for $100,000. Before we do that, we'll have an agreement with you. We'll go and get your home appraised to make sure that we all agree what the value of your home is. And you get a check for $100,000. There'll be some costs taken out of that at the front end. So maybe sort of three or $4,000 for setup fees and for the appraiser. Um, but you'll get the bulk of that $100,000. And the arrangement will be when you sell your home, 
and you can sell your home whenever you want, we get 16% of the value of your home when you sell it. So what we're effectively doing is we're buying some of the future potential value of your home today at a rate at a slightly discounted rate so it's future money today at a discount what that does is that gives you that hundred thousand dollars of capital there's no income tax there's no capital gains tax to pay on it you settle up when you sell your home you have the ability to use that money any way you want and there are no monthly payments. When you come to sell your home, because we have a lien on title, when the sale process goes through escrow, we get paid off um, together with the mortgage, and then the balance is yours. Okay, got it. So it seems like investing in the coastal markets would make the most sense, where equity tends to go up higher, where it's a low cash flow play, and equity seems appreciation seems to be greater. Is that where you guys are investing, or well, tell we, me about we are the markets? Primarily investing. You're right in California <laughs> for that very reason. But these agreements are available currently in around 19 or 20 states. In fact, you know, possibly more than that, depending on which companies you work with. So they're not just available in California. Um, We partner with other companies. So if a customer comes to us and we can't fund it directly, then we'll work Mm -hmm. with a partner to make sure that customer has a good chance of raising the capital they want. Um, You're absolutely right. This is an equity play. It's an appreciation play. So we're really looking to invest in pretty much the coastal cities as you go all the way around the US because that's really Mm -hmm. where the major appreciation is. Mm-hmm. And when you going back to the example of, let's say, I was an investor, and I was to invest that $100,000 for that person on their home, and I get that 16% of the equity, what do the returns look like on an annual basis? Or like, give me an example, like, let's say in 10 years, that person sold, what do you typically see in terms of the amount of equity that they'll see on the back end when they sell? And what does 16% look like in terms of numbers? If you look at, again, round numbers with all the usual caveats, if you take a property and you assume that it appreciates at 4% per annum mm-hmm. over the 10-year period, Mm-hmm. The uh, returns that you'll get will be uh, are sort of just under 9%. So the return oh. to the investor, if the homeowner holds that home equity agreement for the full 10-year period. Now, that's very unlikely to happen. What happens in most cases is the homeowner settles the agreement, sells their home, refinances it, normally around three to four years. If the homeowner settles after four years your return is closer to 16%. So those, again, are round numbers. So those are approximations based on house price movements of X or, um, again, so these aren't defined numbers. It really depends on how much your home goes up. Some properties will appreciate much faster. If they appreciate faster, you're going to get more. The other important thing is the downside protection. If your house goes down in value, you can still make a positive return as an investor. And that's because of that sort of in the money element that's built into the agreement. So if the house goes down from a million to say 900,000, 16% of 900,000 is still more than a million. Uh, Sorry, still more than Mm $100,000. And this is why it's such an interesting investment, because 
how many real estate investments do you know where you still make money if the value of the underlying property mm -hmm. goes down? So there's that interesting part of the uh, well. So you have a, a good return, you have downside protection. And once we have our real estate market up and running, you will then have the possibility of being able to sell some or all of your holding through the secondary market. So there is that potential for liquidity, which solves the problem of you having to hold on to that asset for the full duration. And then you talked about a little bit of downside risk protection. What are some of the other risks from an investor standpoint that considerations some investors would need to think about when they invest in this type of well, investment? Well, it's a real estate investment. So the agreement itself is pretty straightforward to understand. So we're not owners of the property. We're really dependent on the owner of the property performing. So we don't have control of the asset. And that's a good thing. And there's also, if you don't have control, then sometimes it can provide, create exposure. But the people that we work with, we make sure that they have a significant amount of equity to start with. Secondly, we make sure that they retain a significant amount of equity, around 20% after our transaction. Um, so what that means is that we're working with people who they're not leveraged up to the sort of the eyeballs, as it were, and they don't have the incentive just to hand the keys back. Really, the main risks for us is if something happens to the underlying property, if there is a property market crash and everyone sells. So it's not something that you would be unfamiliar with as a residential real estate investor. Regarding the timeline, so in the example, so if it's a 10-year contract, what happens if the homeowner decides after 10 years, you know what, I don't want to sell. I want to stay here. I want to keep this house. What happens at that point to the investment? Very similar to a mortgage. When you get to the end of a mortgage, you refi. It depends on the mortgage. If you've paid it off, you go and buy a bottle of champagne and celebrate. And then you realize, hang on a second, wait, <laughs> what do I do that for? <laughs> That's a whole different story. But at the end of the 10-year period, if there's enough equity in your home, you can open and pay that off by creating a new agreement. And also, never one to predict the future. However, my view is that these types of agreements are going to become more and more popular there will be more and more variations and so um, today we have like version one or version 1.2 of these agreements in 10 years time you're going to have a lot more equity-based options um, so you won't necessarily have to refinance with us you may be able to sell a portion of your home to someone and we're seeing those types of platforms emerge where you can fractionalize the ownership and um, so i think the number of options that will be available to homeowners um will do nothing other than increase over the next few years. Is there any type of thing that can be written in, or do you guys do this, where the investor who lends the money, the equity, so to speak, I guess on the title, or I'm not sure how this would work, but where they might have first right of refusal if, let's say, that person wanted to sell the home, and let's say that they have some kind of right to buy the home? Is that anything you guys ever yeah, do? Yeah, we've thought about that. Um, for a start, the agreement itself is protected by a lien on title. So mm -hmm. the agreement, which is similar to a, a deed of trust, the language is very similar. So you are protected by a security interest on title. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, um, if you start looking at first right of refusal for sales, mm -hmm. then that actually 
is almost a bit like a poison pill. Mm. So what it does is in some ways it can prevent you getting the best price. It can mm. prevent realtors from wanting to become interested. And then it puts an, a, quite a burden on us really because not only if we want to focus on being a capital market system for home equity, then suddenly we're going to have to get into the realtor business or we'll end up having to own property. That's the thing we wanted right. to avoid. So the right. best thing for us is to just stick to our knitting, as it were. And all we want is that appreciation. There's so much business out there for us. We're going to focus on that. We can partner with realtors. We can partner with other companies that would love to phone you up the moment you say you want to sell and offer you something, but it'll be entirely your decision as the homeowner um, who you work with. Interesting. And what type of investor would be a good fit for the types of investments that you guys have in this structure? Well, at the moment, we're working with small family offices, smaller mm -hmm. institutions. We're going to open that up very soon to accredited investors. And again, mm -hmm. that's really from a regulatory, that's driven by regulatory requirements. So our marketplace where you can buy fractions of someone's home in Newport Beach, California, for example, or, or fractions of that agreement, that'll be done through Regulation D and to accredited investors. And then once that's up and running, we will then apply for a different exemption, um, which will enable us to open the marketplace up to non-accredited investors. And that should be in place by the early part of next year. But to start with, it's accredited, but really the investment minimums are going to be really low, like $1,000 or something. So, yeah, um, it's, But at the moment, our investors are all you know, fairly big ticket investors just to get the, the pump primed. Mm -hmm. Does it take more work on your end as a company who's putting these types of investments out to offer a lower investment minimum? Does it make it more paperwork for you just out of curiosity or how does uh, that work? It does. And again, something that we learned really what you do is if you set the expectations of the investors at the beginning and say, look, this is a web-based platform, mm -hmm. a bunch of FAQs, from a technology perspective, we can handle large numbers of small investors in the same way that we would handle small investors because we don't need to sort of touch those investors personally. And that's where the technologies and the blockchain and tokenization and fractionalization and highly developed accounting systems, that enables us to grow large numbers of investors in a fully automated way. Where it becomes problematic and time consuming is if every one of those investors wants to call us up and have a bit of a chat. So we try and say, look, if there's a really compelling question that you have that we can't answer through the online FAQs, by all means, give us a call. But what we try and do is limit the amount of customer care calls that we get by providing sophisticated, intuitive systems online. It's a bit like the online investment platforms. You don't really have an expectation that you're ever going to talk to anyone because you know that everything you want to do is going to be online. So it's that same process. Mm -hmm. And what kind of like monitoring of the investment, if any, do you do on an ongoing basis and reporting back to the investors? Like, do you guys, I don't know, I'm envisioning something like every quarter somebody goes in and kind of tracks like the property value or something. I mean, I don't know. What does that look like? Well, we do. And again, there's, there's a number of different things. There's the property value, but there's also other things associated with the individual property. Mm -hmm. So property values, we revalue the properties every month. So what we do is we know how much your home is worth. When we entered the agreement with you, we knew it was worth a million dollars because we had an mm -hmm. appraiser. And mm -hmm. we then have access to all sorts of automated valuation mechanisms or methodologies that allow us to reliably estimate that homes in your zip code went up by 
0.45% last month. Mm -hmm. So what we'll do is we will adjust the value of your home from a million to a million four and a half thousand. Mm -hmm. So we now Mm -hmm. say the value of your underlying asset is that, which Mm -hmm. means that the value of the contract has gone up by that fraction as well. So we Mm. revalue, effectively we mark to market all of those investments. Other things that we do for the individual homes, we'll check regularly to make sure that there aren't any notices of default or we get notified Mm. if there are any notices of default, if there's any problem, if there are any tax liens or any other liens that are put on the property, if uh, we can regularly check to make sure your property is insured and maintains insurance. But a lot of it is down to the homeowner really to maintain the property. And there are a number of clauses within the agreement that say that if you don't maintain the property, if you allow it to go into disrepair, then you're going to end up paying for that out of your share of the equity. So we're going to get a little bit more equity if we have to fix it. And I would imagine that there's no taxable event until the sale. Is that right? And then does the investor get to take advantage of any of the homeowner exemptions? Well, yes. And this is where it's actually more compelling, significantly more compelling than a loan, because this is a capital gains tax transaction. It's not an income tax transaction. So the cost of the money is offsetable against your capital gains tax bill. And again, this is particularly relevant in California, where you have a fairly large capital gains tax liability. So what that means is the amount that you pay over and above the amount that we invest is a cost, that cost can be used to reduce your capital gains tax liability because it effectively reduces the capital gain that you've made. So if the cost of funding was $50,000 and you'd made $100,000 capital gain in your property, your capital gains tax bill would be reduced by half. So if you look at factoring that in to your overall cost of money, from a homeowner's perspective, the true cost actually is going to be a lot less than it seems. But again, you do that in sort of stages, trying to sort of fire hose people with all this information. But it's a very good question because this is a very tax efficient way of raising capital for a homeowner, as well as compelling investment from an investment perspective. If the homeowner wanted to take out a HELOC on their property, would the bank be aware that this whole arrangement exists so that they say, oh, okay, no, we can't do that? Or what does that look like? Like, let's say you make this arrangement on, kind of behind the scenes or whatnot, right? And then you go to a bank and you say, hey, bank, well, I've got a million dollars in equity and you don't, the, the homeowner doesn't tell the bank that they have this arrangement. Can they still do a HELOC or what does that well, look like? Well, they're going to see because remember there's a lien. So the okay. first thing is when you do a title search, you're going to see our lien there. Got and it. The banks are going to be familiar with what this type of agreement is because okay. it's not mainstream, but it's not esoteric. And Because we have a lien, if they wanted to offer a HELOC, they would need to be in a senior position to us. So they would need to get our permission for us to bump Uh, down one so that they'll go in. So that means they'll need to start getting dialogue going with us. But then what we're going to do is say, okay, if you want to increase the borrowing on your property, Mm -hmm. um, is that going to start eating into our equity position? Mm -hmm. Because if it does, then we're going to say no. Because what we don't want to do is give you capital based on an investment based on equity and then if you start leveraging the hell out of your property all our Mm -hmm. equity is going to be gone so we do have a number of clauses that really restrict the amount of 
additional borrowing that you can get involved with as a homeowner. It's not prohibited, but you have to get our permission. We need to know because we are partners and co-investors with you. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And then, so now we've talked a lot about how investors make money, how it benefits the homeowners. How do you as a company make your money? Well, we charge a fee. So there's a fee that's typically between three and 5% of the capital that we provide to the homeowner. So that's our once-off origination fee. All other charges are really passed on cost or a cost plus basis. That's not really a profit center for us. We also, through our platform, there are a number of revenue streams. So every time someone moves in or out of these types of assets, there will be small platform fees. So there'll be sort of a clip of the ticket, as it were, every time something happens. And also from a longer term perspective, with the people that we partner with, there is the opportunity for us to benefit from some of the longer term appreciation. So working with funders, we're negotiating share of the performance fee that the fund generates so we get a number of different revenue streams we're also looking at different strata so um, if you want it's a bit like a different levels of membership where you can get access to different deals different levels of research if you're willing to subscribe to a monthly fee so there are a number of different models that allow us to grow depending on the level of adoption that this gets from the investment community awesome so fascinating. So interesting. I always love learning about these little yes, yeah, new ways to invest. And it's certainly new to me. And one of the things that's been top of mind for me is diversification, uh, especially yeah. in the last year. And so this sounds like an excellent opportunity and direction to diversify away from your typical cash flow yield plays that an investor might do and be able to capture some longer term equity as if you bought a home in a way yourself. Exactly. You know, like that. Mm-hmm. Talking of diversification is a great way of diversifying out of your house because mm-hmm. most people have the bulk of their wealth stuck right. in their home. So mm-hmm. if you want to diversify out of what is probably your biggest asset, this is a great way of doing it without having to wake up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night thinking, how am I going to make that extra monthly payment? Right. And for all of our listeners out there who invest with us or invest in syndications in general, This is a fantastic opportunity to be able to tap that equity. We get this question all the time. Hey, I have all this equity in my home. How can I get out of that and get that equity out of there? Do an investment like this or consider it and do your research around it. Take that money and invest it into a syndication and double your money in three to five years and go out and buy a bigger home. (laughs) (laughs) And And we have a lot of people that do that. We have a lot of people that Mm -hmm. if you're able to unlock $150,000 dollars from your equity with no monthly payments right that's a down payment on a couple of houses if you're in the bay area a small shed yeah <laughs> a small right. adu on somebody yeah. else's property right a fraction of an adu yeah <laughs> awesome awesome all right well we're going to move into the life and money show spotlight round we're going to ask you a couple of questions around life and money so the first question is around your life and money so what is one thing that you are doing right now to live a meaningful and intentional life by design I think the word smoothie springs to mind. So I have discovered that if you go to Amazon and buy new blades for your liquidizer, it works a lot better. If you go to Costco, you can buy enormous buckets of blueberries. If you put the blueberries into the blender, then you have this smoothie that for some reason just makes me feel like I am full of energy. So 
I think finally I sort of started doing something positive so that I don't collapse and fall over dead at some point. <laughs> and it actually quite works. So a lot of stuff these people talk about eating berries, and it's actually probably true. Mm. So I'm not going on this massive health kick, but it is surprisingly encouraging how good one feels when one gets off the cheeseburgers. Oh, yeah. Everyone teases me. They say I eat rabbit food because I eat salads all the time and I'm plant-based this and that. But I do it for the same reason when I you, eat a bunch of... ha-ha to them, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just things like just trying to take the dog for a slightly longer walk. It's just doing the things we think, well, I'll do that next week. I'm trying to do those things now. I'm not sure if that answers your question. It's more of yeah. a confession than anything, actually. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love it. I think being intentional is all about making those decisions to do do better for yourself today not tomorrow so i love that all right second question is around others life and money so what's one life or money hack that you can share that'll make an impact in others lives right now pay off your credit cards i mean pay off your credit cards <laughs> for those of you who didn't hear it first time don't forget about them don't don't think okay and i have used credit cards to the hilt and then you wake up and think, oh my God, how am I just, and there's millions of people out there that have, probably yourselves included, that have intelligent, easily digestible courses that explain how to do this. But for people that use credit cards, they're not supposed to be used for long-term debt because they're really expensive. And do the math, find out how much your credit cards are costing you. And then when you've fallen off your chair, you back up. <laughs> Um, <laughs> do something about it and just think about the money just, just pay them off and I say this from experience I'm not one of these people that has never had a credit card and I've been up to the back teeth in debt with credit cards and now I hate them and I hate having any balances on them I managed to sort of pay them off and that's it done and I won't let them creep up and but don't cancel the credit cards because then your credit score goes into the toilet. So what you do is you switch them off. You lock them so you can't use them. These aren't life hacks, but you'll save a fortune. You'll end up being able to pay things off and actually start saving money, which is a fabulous feeling of actually having money in the bank, not money that other people own. So I'm not sure if that's helpful. That's something that people can do that normally makes you feel a whole lot better. <laughs> yes, yes, it does. I remember many years ago, I was not familiar with this concept of what you're talking about and maxed out all of my credit cards until I met my husband who paid off his credit cards every month. And I was like, why do you pay off your credit cards every month? <laughs> I'm totally embarrassed to admit that here on this podcast. Well, no, you just get into it. Then you just think because it's yeah. tempting. Oh, it just is. Like, yeah. Would you like us to increase your credit card? You're right. You're like, sure. <laughs> yeah. Have some more. <laughs> so I can go shopping this weekend. But it's such a good reminder that I think the trick is when it comes to money and investing is to understand the tools that are available to you and figure out the best way to leverage them to support your lifestyle because credit cards aren't all bad, right? If you figure out, we've had people, guests on the show who have taught us how to hack credit cards and have traveled the world using credit card points and whatnot. So credit cards aren't all bad, but I think it's always about understanding the tools in front of you and figuring out how to best leverage them to serve your needs. But I love that. I agree wholeheartedly <laughs> and entirely. <laughs> all right. Last question is on life and money in the world. So what is one thing that you're doing right now to make the world a better place? For young children, and I'm trying to be a slightly less useless father this time around than I was first time around to my other four children. 
who still speak to me, but normally when they need something, so which I think is entirely normal. So I had this conversation with people, and they say, how are you giving back? And it's like, well, if I can just not screw up their lives and give them something to look forward to, then everyone else, you know, th- that will probably be a good start. They're my entire focus, just not screwing up their lives and not being a crap father. <laughs> there you go. Changing the world by not messing up one little human yes, at my- a time. <laughs> so there, <laughs> that's our goal, too. Not screwing up. <laughs> There you go. Well, Matthew, this has been a fascinating conversation. I'm sure our listeners want to follow up and learn more. So what's the best place that they can go? Everything's on the website, which is quantumre.com. And we have calculators there where you can find out how much equity you could unlock from your home. And we have the real estate marketplace, which um, will spring into life in the next few weeks. And there's all sorts of podcasts and videos and blog articles. And there's other resources that you can see to give you a better idea of what this is all about. Fun. I love me a good calculator. So I'm definitely going to check that out. Matthew Sullivan, CEO and founder of Quantum RE. Matthew, thank you so much for being here with us and our listeners today. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. You've been listening to The Life and Money Show, the number one podcast for people who, like you, are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth, and making an impact in the world. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com and be sure to join the Life and Money Show community on Facebook. And if you got value out of this show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations.